I'm sorry. We don't. We won't talk about that. It is the the we'll we'll splice this in later. But the gym that we do not speak of, Aaron, you're just making more work for Aaron right now. Like all this heavy editing that he has to do, my ad reads that he doesn't like. Speaking of ad reads, I think we should start with some ad reads. Might as well do it. Okay. Well, we're gonna sit back. We're gonna do some ad reads. First one is for Project X Guard and Raul Chavez, who's uh, doing some not-for-profit work with some at-risk youth in the GTA area. So if you know anybody who is looking to uh, know any at-risk youth, somebody who can be influenced by, you know, the power and love that jiu-jitsu could spread that all three of us know, uh, reach out to Raul Chavez on Instagram. That is Raul Chavez. He's at Project X Guard. Or you can also reach out to us on the Choking hazard podcast page and uh we also have our, our other sponsor for this evening hey uh I, I, arthur i want to ask you real quick do you know what time it is 8 48 no wrong it's 4 20 because it's spirit leaf Waterdown in hamilton located at aaron 64 hamilton street north alex and his crew there they have all the cbd and thc needs that you have that you could ever possibly need they have edibles gummies candies King Kong ain't got shit on them. They got everything that you need. They got vape pens. They got everything that you can need when it comes to your THC and CBD needs. They're located at, Aaron, one more time, located at. 64 Hamilton Street North. <laughs> Come on, we got to keep that running gag going. There's a po- post that we have with a promo code. It is Podcast 10 It only works in store. So you have to show them that when you check out. And it's only specific to the watered down location of Spirit Leaf, located at Aaron, one more time. 64 Hamilton Street North. You know you could just learn the address and do it yourself. No, right? it's better when you do it. CH Podcast 10, you're gonna sh- you're gonna show them that post at checkout. You're gonna get 10% off. That's only in that's an only in-store promotion though. And only at that location, 64 Hamilton Street North, Waterdown, Ontario, Canada. All right, let's kick this thing off. First things first, we have uh, Arthur. Do we call you Zuka Chandra Mohan? What what do what do we call you here? Any, I mean, if you can pronounce Chandra Mohan, yeah, that's that's my last name. All right, that's officially. <laughs> where did you get the the Zuka name from? Are you just start calling yourself that one? No, day, no, some guy. It's it's a, not a great story, but some guy called me Arthur Zuka, and I actually think he meant Arthur Zulu because he said you're like that African warlord. Uh, just you know he was a white belt I was a blue belt so I beat him and then and then I was like that was weird and then I come in the next day to the gym and everyone's like Zuka and then I you know I looked into it and I couldn't find any Arthur Zukas but I could only find Arthur Zulus so to the best of my knowledge my nickname is a typo (laughs) (laughs) it just stuck with you to this day to this day since like blue belt it's like 10 years I had, I had this old training partner who was a black belt in judo. I don't know if he's listening to us, but a shout out to Payne Peters. He's like an old, like MMA fighter I used to train with. And he, for the longest time, he thought my last name was Bryce instead of Briars. And I just let him go with it for like a year. He just call me just, he's like, Hey Bryce, how you doing, man? He's I'm just like, uh, Hey, how you doing? What's up? And then it just kind of, he just kept saying it and it just kind of stuck. I was just never really corrected him, I guess. And just, here we are to this day. He still calls me Bryce, even though I think he knows my last name by now. I had I had a coworker. She worked with me for several years, and then one day she just started calling me Drew. And, <laughs> and you know, I didn't correct her just because I was like kind of curious. So I, I, you know, I remember telling my other coworkers, "Look, she just calls me Drew," and it kind of continued for like you know a month or something. 
And then one day she just snapped back to Arthur. That's funny. It was like super like, weird. <laughs> super weird. Either she like completely forgot that like, oh yeah, I'm telling this guy Drew, or it's just yeah. like, yeah, it's never acknowledged it. <laughs> it's funny those like it, awkward it, conversations of just you're just calling one person. It's like, oh man, you know how like sometimes you know somebody for a while and but like you never been formally introduced to them. And it's too late. Like, and it's too late, and you're just you like, oh, this, is, this is weird. I, I don't want to ask him for his name or his or her name because it's been like a few months. It's like, it's like, and then I sometimes I actually did this one time. I got somebody to go introduce them to that person just so I knew. You have like, to. Oh man. yeah, that's their name. Yeah, that's it. That's their name. Yeah, but like, it's funny how like nicknames. You can never choose your own nickname. It's always in like. Somebody they give it to you and then it spirals from there. And it's I'm, like, I'm okay had, with mine. It could be worse. Yeah, it could you, be a you lot got worse. A good one. Yeah, you I got, got lucky. One. I, I got a shitty one when I was in uh, like with Marco and all that. It was all what it was is Cliff. it, Aaron? It, it was Cliffy. <laughs> so basically, their whole premise around it was like it was like the big red dog. So <laughs> so Clifford basically. <laughs> it was named after the fucking children's book. <laughs> like there's that, and then. It kind of morphed into rouge at like at, like the, at the club. So, so then it was like they didn't want to call me red anymore, and then it was rouge instead. So I'm like, whatever. I usually <laughs> I, I usually called you either like Raggedy Ann or that angry ginger guy who's always stomping around angry for the first couple of years I was there. <laughs> yeah, those work too. <laughs> those work. Excellent. So I want to ask a question because. Arthur, you are about the only person who can make a sweatshirt and a hoodie, mind you, under a gi look good. Every time I see you teaching on Instagram. <laughs> so so what's with the sweat the hoodie under the gi? Is it cold I'm, in that place I'm, or what? No, it's um it's hot and there's like a heater, but I think because I don't roll and I kind of just teach. But I'm also I've always just been very cold. Okay. And then actually, it's not just me. John Thomas does it too. And then once I saw John Thomas do it, I was like, okay, this is okay. This is acceptable. <laughs> we just have to like, you know, tip this into the general population. I guess it's acceptable considering I think a lot of time he was teaching in Sweden, if I'm not mistaken. So Yeah, or Norway or something. I don't know. Yeah. No, maybe not. Northern yeah. Scandinavian countries. Yeah. So if you're if you're wearing a sweater and it's like minus 40 outside, you know, I can understand it. I yeah, that's Canada, Canada, Canada can get cold. So it's freezing. Yeah. And like John Thomas looks like a very skinny guy. Like not too, too much insulation on him. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you two have very similar builds, just like tall, lanky. Just, yeah. Is that like, I was going to ask you like about people who, you know, were like big influences on your jiu-jitsu i think john thomas is probably one of them but like now right? actually yeah um there's kind of like three four people i follow very closely one guy doesn't even speak english but i have learned more from this guy in one year than probably the past three years i think i know um, who you're talking about Shinchan gorilla yeah that's the guy yeah. i follow him as well he's, he's amazing he's awesome. he is amazing i was actually supposed to be in korea like right now training with him but of course, um, because when you go there, I think you have to do two weeks of isolation and then you have to do another like week of regional isolation. Oh, so, wow. you know, altogether, that's six weeks when you include me training and then coming back and isolating. So it was just kind of not worth it. But that's definitely. And then the guy I lost to in the finals of the Asian Open was one of his like students and training partners. So then I was even more sold. I was like, OK, this guy's definitely good. 
And he's he's actively studying a lot, which I like because I'll watch the Mendez brothers teach something and then I'll watch him reteach it, like, you know. So he's still very actively studying and yeah, I, I think he's an amazing teacher. And then John Thomas, yeah. Um uh other like those two guys are kinda like my main go to's right now. Mm -hmm. What kind of like what kind of drove you to, what kind of drove you to them originally? Was it just their teaching style or is it just kind of what they've been doing? So, I mean, I, I like, I think out of, out of all the jujitsu people, one guy I always had a lot of respect for was Ostep because he has a very, you know, intelligent approach to developing his game and how to improve it. And he always credited John Thomas quite a bit. And then um, there was a sweep that he hit on actually another Brown guy at I think Pans. His, his name might have been Siraj. <laughs> or ram or something ram and and or something anyways he fought this guy and he hit a sweep and then he did a match analysis and he's like john thomas taught me this and then like five years later i saw john thomas pop up on my instagram so i followed him and then i i actually it was like two weeks ago he finally explained that sweep so and then and then shinchan gorilla i think he kind of rolls like me and I just feel like he's a much better version of me. So I, I kind of like, you know, it, it kind of gives me some insight into where I could take my game in the coming years. Like mm -hmm. he's big, but he doesn't really, not that I'm big, but he's big and he doesn't use it. He like drives down his level to meet his students. He puts himself in a lot of positions, but he works a lot of like a half guard, lapel feed, um, hip switch, dog fight position stuff. I don't know. I think our games are similar. His is just much more refined. So... Yeah, and I like his like vibe. Like he's very chill. Like there's a video he put up of him dancing and sweeping. Like I, I love that. You know <laughs> that he like trains hard, fights hard, studies hard, but also like has a lot of fun. Yeah, no, he's he's pulled together some really good like instructional stuff lately that I've seen. Especially I know they were shut down for a while and then yeah. they reopened up now. Like I think at one point I think they're even rolling with mask on. I think, they they still because, are. That's yeah. how how amazing so, is that? Like the the culture of respect there. Like here, we can't even get people to wear a mask in the elevator, but these guys will roll with a mask on. That's incredible. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it's crazy. So, yeah. No, there's big things coming out of that place for sure. Yeah. There, there are some tough, tough dudes. Like I, I remember at the Asian Open when I was watching, like every division, it was Korean people just like ripping through. And I was like, oh, I misunderstood <laughs> <I> <laughs> the level because <laughs> I just assumed, you know, like they're from Asian countries, they'll probably be a little bit smaller. And then they're all just yeah. like, Korean guys are huge. <laughs> like they're huge. They're all like briars. <laughs> well, I'm about, yeah, they're, I'm, they're, I'm, they're a bigger breed. Yeah. I'm about like 205, 210 right now. I'm, I'm putting on some weight. I'm hitting the weights again. Uh, this is, I, I don't know. I've, I've talked about it before on like a couple podcasts ago. I just, my body feels better physically. Like I don't feel as banged up, like rolling after. It's just like my joints aren't as like sore and achy and like beat up. But like, I know, um, I know like you, you've had like some history with like injuries as well. Like, is it yeah. like one injury that's just ongoing. Right. But, um, so, you know what, during the lockdown, I was so bored. I was lifting like three, four times a week or, and I, I went up to 180 and I had to, yeah, for me, which is like a 25 pound jump. Right. Um, <laughs> And, and honestly, it was, must have been like a month and a half or something. It was so quick. And I had to stop because my work clothes didn't fit me anymore. <laughs> <laughs> what? Oh, you should have you should at least like kept going or like modified your program or something. But like, how are you feeling? Like, 
I mean, I was feeling strong, but for for me, like I, I kind of agree with you. It was amazing lifting and then rolling because I have such a hard time warming up. Like my joints always feel stiff, but when I lift and I don't lift heavy, like I just, I'll do one plate, you know, and just for deadlifts and that kind of thing. But when I lift, like I feel amazing to roll. And especially when I lift with a hoodie, like my body actually warms up. Um, <laughs> man, I'm like, I'm, I'm like an old guy, man. It's, a, yeah. it's like an RPG thing. It's like hoodie, like lift plus five <laughs> joint protection, <laughs> shield defense plus three. <laughs> that's, that's my problem. Like I, I can never warm up. It takes me forever to warm up. So that's why I, you don't know, like when I compete, it takes me an hour to warm up, which is like oh. a nightmare. Just a oh, it takes takes you a few matches to get going. It I, wanna, I, I warm up outside, yeah. Yeah, I was gonna ask you like this year, like with COVID and everything, like because um, I I know you've been working full time and I think you've been teaching a little bit here and there at like different places. So like, tell me a little bit of, like about that experience, what it's been like the last year or so, like with work, like your own work as well. You, if yeah. You want to tell people what you do for what you do outside of jujitsu and then what you're doing within it as well. Yeah, I mean, uh, uh, I work for public health. Um, that's my day job. Um, but even before COVID, like, you know, I used to always work at my day job 40 hours. And then I used to teach about 40 hours. So I always kind of, I worked a lot because I, I don't like just sitting at home. Uh, if I sit at home, I'm just going to eat junk food and watch TV. And to me, that's not really very gratifying. Um, so yeah, in terms of teaching, I, I think over the years, I've cut back, like when I was maybe two three, four years ago, I used to do 30 privates a week. Um, but, you know, I just don't enjoy that as much. Like, I think maybe I was at that age where it was just amazing to kind of, I guess, make that money and have that kind of an opportunity and, you know, that kind of a client base. But now I've trimmed it down for sure. I prefer doing classes because, you know, it's more relaxed. Um, and I just do privates with like two or three people. And i kind of handpick the students to just be really dedicated, amazing students with potential and not like in terms of competition, because I find there's a greater burnout rate, like in terms of lifetime jujitsu. So one guy's 58, one guy's 48. Uh, who's the third person? Oh yeah. And then the other guy's 22, but um, you know, they're all really smart. Um, two of them are not athletic at all, but I think they're going to be incredible in the coming years. Um, they're just, you know, they're built the, the way they do jujitsu again, it's like a very, I guess, intellectual approach. So for instance, like even these guys, when they were white belts, they would say, I, even though two of them are big, they're like, I don't want to use force. So I said, okay, like, you know, when you're new, you typically, you don't put someone into guard. I find because it takes so long to get good at guard. The returns are much later on. Right. So when someone's new, I just teach them passing. Because the, you, you'll get those immediate results. Guard, it's going to be a couple of months of just getting killed, right? Um, but all of, these, all of these three students were okay with that. And they're like, I don't care about winning. I don't care about losing. Like, I just want to be good in five years. And to me, I was like, man, that's exciting. So I, I really handpicked my students. And I look for students that can do three, four privates a week. And, you know, they'll just be amazing in a couple of years, I think. No, I think that's perfect because then you're you're tailoring those individuals and you're creating a client base for yourself that works, right? Yeah. I mean, like you said it before, like you have these burnout students. It's great to have 
you know, that athletic individual who wants to do competitions all the time, but that might not be a long-term type individual. You want a lifer. As far as exactly. I, yeah, you want a lifer, like something that's going to drive your business and something that works for you rather than kind of having to work for it more than anything. The same way, like you would do it in a personal training field. Oh, like just the long-term clients, I guess? Yeah. 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 And, you know, it, it just makes it more fun, I find, like... I guess, you know, sometimes teaching competitors, like it's just so timeline and, and goal focused, short-term goal focused, that it kind of pulls the fun out of it and it limits me in what I can teach. But when someone's thinking on a five, 15 year horizon, it just, then I'm not stressed about the small stuff because I know eventually the smaller holes will fill in, right? Um, yeah, but it's pretty cool because the way the, the rate of knowledge transfer and the availability of information these days, these like blue belts these days are better than I feel like we were as brown belts, you know, 10 years ago. Like, I I don't know if you agree, but I am like terrified looking at these blue belts. Yeah. Like I would say, especially you can look at like a lot of juveniles coming up. Like it's insane because a lot of them have been training training since they're like six and now they're like 16, 17. Like they're basically black belts already. That's true. That's true. I mean, I I, I would definitely think that's a long-term trend. Like Michael Tremblay, uh, Allison Tremblay, uh, you know, well, there's so many, like um, Cameron Florzak, all, all these people were, you know, kids training uh, for sure. But e- even just if I look at blue belts when I started, I remember thinking, wow, this guy's like, we had one blue belt that I can think of. And I was like, this guy's so good. I'll never be this good. And now like the worst blue belt here would beat him, you know? And that's, <laughs> that's absurd. And it's the rate of, um, knowledge as well so like things are getting a lot more refined and accelerated at a much quicker uh, rate of learning so like you can go online go on youtube there's like so many like breakdowns like there's a lot of guys you can follow like john thomas is like a perfect example of like like the learning curve is so accelerated like he's basically like here's this 15 minute youtube video on like like this really awesome concept that like i didn't discover until i was a purple belt and i was like well shit where was this like five years ago yeah yeah like that's that's how i feel sometimes like watching some of this stuff i'm like oh yeah i figured that out but that took me like years versus some like maybe white belt could be watching that and then they like something clicks and then they figure that out and yeah i mean i like i look at matrix guard you know you have the two guys from norway espen and um, tommy uh, you have John Thomas teaching it and breaking down their footage. You have like BJJ Scout breaking it down in competition. And this is kind of, you know, one of the most cutting edge pieces of technology, I guess, in jujitsu right now. Right. And, you know, as soon as something big hits the scene, there's like 500 analysis videos on it and you can follow a hashtag, which is amazing. And then everybody else is going to learn it. And then it's just another tool. Another right? old tool. Yeah. It's just another little tool. So as you kind of like, Again, going from like from when we were all white belts, blue belts, building that trend, right? Where do you kind of like, because every kind of buddy sees a difference of like where jiu-jitsu is going as far as the game goes. Yeah. Where What's your kind of perspective on it where you see like certain the, trends going? Uh, like the sport as a whole, or I guess like as Keenan would say, the meta of jiu-jitsu in competition uh, or, or yeah, in general? Like, let's say this, like, jujitsu as a whole. Yeah, I mean, I I love the diversity of clients. Like, I get every type of person from every type of background, which I love. You know, it's just um, the the ones that always make me laugh are, like, people 
that are surgeons that work on small body parts and they're out there risking their hands and their wrists and like their everything. And I'm like, that's so, you know, you, you're in school for 15 years and you're going to risk it to strangle some guy on the mats in pajamas. I, I just think that's <laughs> hilarious, but I love how mainstream it's becoming like now, you know, I think every jujitsu person ever, we just, when we walk around, we just wear old competition t-shirts. I, I mean, I don't know yeah, about you guys. I still yeah. have a couple. <laughs> exactly. I mean, I have like a hundred, right? So, you know, you go to a bar or a restaurant, you go to the bathroom and like someone recognizes your shirt and they're like, oh, I trained there. Right. And I, that happens now more than ever, no matter where I go, I bump into jujitsu people. So, I mean, I imagine it'll continue to grow. I, I guess like karate was like that maybe you know, 10, 20 years ago where it exploded and everyone was doing it. And I feel like kind of jujitsu, it seems to me, is starting to follow that route a bit. Okay. So, so let's go back to the Keenan thing then. So now Keenan has his, his kind of mythology of how he thinks jujitsu is going to turn and all that kind of jazz. And then also, if you listen to John Danaher, he also kind of has a vision of like where it's going as a sport and all that kind of jazz, right? Yeah, yeah. I don't know if you've heard both arguments, but it's like, where do you kind of like see it? Like, I, I get what Keenan's saying, where it's like, okay, we're obviously with the introduction of like heel hooks, you're going to get more people coming into the competition field through IVJF and all that kind of jazz, right? But I see Danaher's argument where it's like, yeah, it's becoming more of that pro show, that mainstream guys are going to make more money. Yeah, doing it, right. For sure. And that's the thing, right? Like, um, as time passes more and more, I, I feel more and more confident that uh, I could, if, you know, if ever anything happens to my day job, I can just kind of work full-time in jujitsu. And I, I think that's pretty incredible, but that speaks to the sport's evolution. Right. Um, and in terms of Keenan, I think for Nogi, he was saying that the, I guess the, the, the game is imploding into kind of wrestling and leg locks. Right. Um, yeah. And, and Guy BJJ is kind of going the other way with more, intricate lapel feeds and inversions and back takes and bolos and that kind of stuff that I guess, quote unquote, modern jujitsu. And I mean, that's kind of where it seems to be going now. And I, I, I think it's like, I, I wanted to, I think, compete at an IBJJF. Like I, I wasn't that into the idea, but I looked at it and I was like, I have to pay for my like black belt certificate. I have to pay for my IBJJF membership. I have to pay for the um, like registration and just all that stuff would have been like 600 bucks, you know? And then I'm like, why, why would I pay that much money just to go compete? You know, if I even just wanted to do worlds, like I get it, you don't want a thousand black belts in adult worlds, but it's going to cost me five grand just to qualify potentially, right? Like flight, hotel, car, IBJJF registration three, four times to qualify. So I, I can totally see why there's such a strong draw. And um, for me, I, I don't, really like mma like i always feel bad watching people get hit in the head because i worry about the long-term effects right yeah like you know whatever it is like alzheimer's or just brain damage or mood disorders like from all the trauma to the head so i always feel uh i feel like i can't enjoy ufc's as much but now there's like who's number one and fight to win and, and whatnot and i love those like i i now understand the excitement that mma people had for ufc I only watch you to see if it's like a grappler fighting, like if it's Damian Maya or Jacare or BJ Penn. Otherwise, you know, I look away when they're standing up and I just watch when they're on the ground. <laughs> <laughs> That's kind of why I didn't really like, I 
didn't really pursue MMA as much as Aaron did and his uh, 1-0 amateur record that I always like to bring up. Oh, Wait, one, one win, right? <laughs> one win. One win. One win. Awesome. That's, That's 100%. It. That's amazing. That's one on top. <laughs> Every time MMA comes up, I'll be like, oh, Aaron's got one more fight than I will ever have. I'm, <laughs> I'd like I'm to sh- do one. I'd like to do one, but I had like uh, ret- retinal issues, so I can't take the strikes to the head. Cause I can lose my vision, but man, I so badly wanted to do one or two fights just for fun. And, you know, for, I guess the TV <laughs> and it's like positives get to fulfill, uh, you know, a dream, test out your jujitsu, test out your competitive spirit. Cons might go blind. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But I, I mean, yeah. Darson did it too. Right. Like I, I, I love watching these BJJ guys jump in and I think that's pretty cool. Yeah, he did. Uh, I think he did like a one am- one amateur fight, I think, as well. And then yeah, just... I think he did one amateur and one pro, I think. But yeah, I think he won both of them, and that was it. He's done. Did Mary just did... went down the rabbit hole of jujitsu, just like all of us? Did you watch? Yeah, yeah. I, I feel like he really loves jujitsu, and he's got such a good and creative mind for it. You know, it's like it's kind of a shame to watch him <laughs> go down the May. But did you watch Hidalfo fight Hidalfo Vieira in MMA? Did he fight recently, or uh, I think he uh, maybe a couple months ago? But man, that guy—it's oh, okay. terrifying. Well, that guy's a monster. He's yeah. a monster. He was and a monster. He... he was a monster in jujitsu. He's going to be an yeah. even bigger yeah. monster in MMA. Well, I mean, def- <laughs> definitely you can see his difference between Gi and Nogi, right? At him at like oh, ADCC 100%. versus him and Gi, but yeah, that was like it was a terrifying difference between him and his opponent. Oh yeah. And I think he's fighting. He's doing a fight to win, or is he doing a? He's. Oh yes, he December eleventh. He's fighting. Yes. Um, is Kanan. it Kanan? Yeah, 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 Kanan, yeah. Oh man, that's yeah. gonna be like I love that stuff. I have that marked in my calendar. That's who's number one. I think. Like I, I'm such a jujitsu nerd. I live for I, that stuff. I don't know. So, like, so I, when I think they, it's sorry. Go ahead, Aaron. No, no, no. Because I was gonna say, just because we're on that. So like, when you see a guy like that who's been was tearing it up forever in jujitsu competition, then flows back into like, and goes into the MMA world. And now he's kind of coming back into strictly the grappling world. How do you, how do you feel about that? Like, Oh, I love it. Him, you just go to it. I love it. I love it because, you know, like we were saying, there's more and more money in jujitsu. If you remember, Hadolfo actually came back. There was like a, a weed company, um, you know, some kind of cannabis company and they held this like super fight tournament for $50,000. And that's when he first came back and he beat one of those. Um, he had some really good fights. I think he fought Muhammad Ali too, maybe um, him or um, Herbert Santos. And then he also fought one of those brothers, the, the Munich Munis brothers. Oh, Munis. One of them. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Like the huge okay. one. Yeah. So man, I was so happy because you know, the, I guess they have to go to MMA to make money. Right. But now that jujitsu is offering more and more, like I'm, I'm really happy to see that. It's good to see because like 10 years ago, I don't think nothing wouldn't be anywhere near where we're at right now. And just imagine like another 10 years from now, I think yeah. things are going to get a lot more mainstream. There's going to be a lot more, like a lot more sponsors jumping on yeah. board, different revenue streams, um, like super fight shows. Um, if people do like a good job promoting themselves, like, yeah. you know, this, whether this you like market for it, yeah. right? Like, whether you like him or not, like Gordon Ryan, I think he's a perfect example of that. Like he's basically like the quintess- 
quintessential pro wrestling heel bad guy basically where it's like beat me if you can but guess what you're all gonna pay to whether you like me or you don't you're yeah. gonna pay to see me i mean i i totally get it what people say about his like personality or whatever but i feel like he's done so much for grappling right and and also i feel like he's kind of changed the standard in terms of what people are willing to pay for knowledge in terms of the dvd cost right and what people should sell their knowledge for so i look at all these amazing black belts like Doderline and and whoever else and they're selling their dvds for 30 bucks but now you know i'm happy to see them selling it for more and that client on the client side you know people are saying yeah i can pay two three hundred for this because someone put 20 years into it right so yes, I think, absolutely. and I mean, they're going to support themselves and the more people can, I think, live off jujitsu, the more the knowledge base will expand and refine. Right. So I, I, I love it. Yeah. I think that's a great thing as well, because I think even, like even using like personal training as an example, like if you're growing your knowledge base, you know, more, you can help more people with whatever the case may be. Like there's nothing wrong with, you know, charging or making more for that. And it's the same thing with jujitsu as well. Like if you have the knowledge base and you're putting together like a, it's basically, it's just like, it's a product, just like anything else. If you're putting together a really good product, people are going to pay for it. Yeah. And, and that's the thing, like even, even with me, I used to charge such a low, like rate, I guess you could say, like I used to charge, I think 32 bucks an hour, which I think is a amazing rate, right. For an hour private lesson. And then I, I think I just started like realizing, especially as I became more like an adult or I got older, I was like, if you really want this, you'll find a way to allocate that money in, in towards the jujitsu. You know, if it's $25, let's say, cause it's $50 an hour and you have a partner, most people can afford a hundred dollars a month for four private semi-private lessons, you know? And then like the more I thought about it, I was like, yeah, well, people go to the bar and they spend $35 in a night or 50 bucks in a night. So I was like, well, then maybe they just don't want it enough. Right. And so why should I devalue my service? Nope. You no, nailed 100%. it. hundred percent. Nailed it. <laughs> yeah. That, so no, I, yeah, you, it's you, been interesting. Like there's always those people that are like, Oh man, I can't afford jujitsu. But then they'll like go to the club and like start popping bottles with their friends. And it's, you prioritize, I think what it comes down to is you prioritize what's important. If, you know, if doing like a jujitsu private lesson with you is important, they're going to find a way to do that. Or yeah. if they want to focus on their health and, you know, maybe they want to hire like a trainer privately and they want to allocate their money towards that. They're going to find a way to do that. If they want to exactly pop it. bottles in the club and pop Molly, they're going to find the funds to do uh, that. Molly. Yeah. Molly, I think we, we're all too old to be using that word Molly, but um, it, I'm, one of the, one of the like points where I, I think I was just like, okay, this is like enough is enough. There was a guy who like haggled me down so much and, you know, really gave me like a sob story. And for me, I was like, you know, it's not all about the money. So I dropped my rate to a ridiculously low rate. Next two classes guy comes in a brand new show you roll. And I was like, yeah, oh, man, I got hustled. <laughs> so. Shows yeah, up I always sell small packages to those guys. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I, I mean, I don't do, I don't like to do packages. Like, I prefer to do one-on-one. I hate to, like, pressure someone into buying 50 or whatever. But, you know, it, I'm not going to go back and say, hey, you came in two new show rolls. Now your price is back to normal, right? But <laughs> and just after that, I was like, okay, that's when I, it really hit me. I was like, priorities, I guess. Priorities. Show your roll, Guy, private yeah. with Arthur. Yeah. Uh, show your roll. <laughs> <laughs> 
I don't think I've ever asked you this. Don't geese make, make you get better, don't they? I I, that is works. true. That is true. If I have a gi and I look like a professional, then you must even, be. A, then I must be. Then I, I must learn through osmosis or something. <laughs> this is a strong possibility. Hey, Arthur, I want to ask you this. I don't think I ever have. Like, how did you actually get involved in jujitsu? And like, where did you start? And yeah, like, how did um, you discover jujitsu? How did you get into? It? I, I did. I'm not involved at all. Um, it's my brother. I have an older brother and, you know, like, I don't know about you guys, but older brothers are kind of kind of like dads, I guess you could say, but maybe more connected to the current scene, I guess. Um, my brother was heavily into Kung Fu and Judo. Um, he actually took three months off work, I think this year and trained in the mountains of China. <laughs> he, he is hard and he's like, you know, he's a VP at a big bank, like an investment bank and everything. And he just took three months off. And, um, so he's, you know, it's pretty cool. I mean, he's almost 40 now and he's really into it, but he signed me up. So I did Wushu, I did Taekwondo and this is exactly my point, you know, back in 2006, nobody knew what BJJ was. So I did, I liked wrestling on the floor. Like I just thought that was way more fun than anything. I didn't know that was a sport, you know, like I wouldn't <laughs> even think to Google that. Cause I'm like, that's just not a thing, right? Like, you know, karate, you know, Taekwondo, but you don't know BJJ. And then. I remember at the Taekwondo gym, which actually hilariously is like up the street from uh, Ascension where I started jujitsu. Uh, I used to grapple with the like assistant instructor all the time. And I was like, this is the best part of Taekwondo class is like when we, you know, like floor fight. And then, uh, yeah. So then I, I went to Ascension because my brother signed me up and he signed me up for, I think, like wrestling, judo, Muay Thai and BJJ. And I gravitated heavily towards the ground stuff just because I'm not really into hitting people. Um, and the judo class, I, I was kind of the only kid. So I remember I had like this big Russian partner in the very first class as we drilled throws. He tossed me and popped my rib. So obviously Ooh. I didn't go back um, just because I was too small, I think. Right. And obviously my break fall wasn't good enough. And um the BJJ, especially once I got to the adults class, like I kind of quit when I was in the kids class, I did quit. Um, and then when I came back and I went to the adults class, like I learned more in my first day than a year in the kids class. And it's because all the adults teach you, right? Then it's, it goes, it, instead of that, like one person at the top and all the equivalent students in the adults class, it's kind of like a pyramid, right? And you have these interactions at every level. So knowledge really does flow down. And that was like my first class. I was like, man, I'm in. This is amazing. Mm-hmm. And that was when uh, at Ascension before, correct? Yeah. So that was like, I was there for almost like 10 years or something. I was there for a long time. And yeah, so it was, it was good. Like those, and, and I have to say that in those, there was like a couple of years where it was amazing. Like the group we had, everyone was really nice. Nobody rolled hard. Like nobody tried to kill you. And I think when those kind of people came in, people would like some of the senior belts, the mat enforcers would, you know, clear them out. So it was, it was really good training. We trained a lot. Like we would train three hours a day, but it was so light that nobody would ever be, you know, beat up or sore. So, yeah. I think Omar's just created such a great culture back then too. I think even now I, I haven't seen it, it forever, but yeah. yeah, like he's just been able to create that massive culture and that all you guys were really good, really good at jujitsu, but well laid back, very yeah. fluid. And that's the thing, like that is probably my biggest takeaway from Ascension is like focusing on the culture. So you know how, I, like I'm telling you, I have these three students I focus on there are people that will contribute to the positive culture and like 
you know, I'm, I'm a contractor, right? I go and I teach at different places and I try to facilitate the building of a BJJ program. And that's my number one focus is like building a culture. Like I don't want champions. I don't even want really good people. I want people that are going to welcome new people. I want really and, good people. Yeah. Like I, I, I don't want someone whose goal is only to be the best, right? That yeah. does not, um, you know, sit like, I guess, congruently with what I want for the atmosphere. And so that's really been my goal. And I think we're really starting to get there, like uh, at a couple of the gyms, we have really good vibe, really good group of people and, and the retention, like, um, I think at Bazooka is an excellent example. When I started there, we had like four students, uh, because it was, you know, a, a in, infant program, right. And before lockdown, we had so many students that we couldn't even roll we had to because it was just no room like that's how packed every class was and the other really good indicator for me is the the belt so you know you have your typical pyramid in jujitsu where there's the most white belts at the bottom at bazooka we only have like three white belts <laughs> like we don't have any white belts everyone's just a colored belt because it's all the students from day one like every time i have a facebook memory all the same people are still there you know so it's been like, again, creating that good culture. And I think like when I think back to Ascension and what made it so good, it's like the people were really like tightly knit, you know? So I, I try to really focus on building a community. It's been, it's been really, really interesting as I get to kind of fiddle with these, you know, every gym I can alter one variable and I see what works and what doesn't. So I think you mentioned well, once something that's very important is culture. It's um, so I don't think you're, you said like, you're not in the business. I think of making world champion jujitsu people that are like going to worlds. It's more of, you know, you just want to have like a positive influence and influence on people and you want your classes to be fun. You just want people to learn jujitsu. That's basically what it's about for you. That's exactly. Yeah, man. If you like, if you lose a couple pounds along the way, great. If you don't have a terrible arm bar, even better, but really like, I don't want you to just train for five years really hard or six months, three times a day. And then I never see you again. I want to see you all the way to black, right? Like, No, I think that's awesome. Because again, it is. It's all about the culture. And it's, that's how you build a successful spot. And it's keeping those, again, it's retention, 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 yeah. retention. 100%. That's good. And, I, and then you, you, I, yeah. then you build off that. Yeah. I, I feel like just as the instructor, you can't carry that on your shoulders. The retention thing, like you can be charismatic. You can be incredible. You can remember everyone's birthday and their dog's eyes color like the color of the dog's eyes but you know you'll need your senior students um uh, like of course i won't say who but in the states there was a gym that some of my friends trained at and they said the culture was so bad because of the person at the top and it would flow down to kind of the generals and then it would flow down and it was just such a bad environment that everyone would leave and i was like yeah like it does start at the top right so i really i tried to like to kind of i guess lead by example and i tried to you know so yeah yeah, no, I, I get what you're saying. And that's kind of like something that Mike and I had, like we were slowly getting into that spot just as we were kind of getting our program off the, the books and it was really getting really better. And then obviously lockdown okay. happened and then we're kind of out of the, the game right now, but it's okay. How, how is stronger. that for you guys? Like where are you, are you, I guess, going to get a new location and start up, like kind of dive more deeply into it? Or do you still, I guess, want to build it back up before you grab your own spot who knows what's going to happen but we've we've actually had a big sponsor this year helping us out with that and that's cerb 
Justin Trudeau and, and the federal government have been have been huge in the no, I'm just kidding, but uh, I, I, I don't know what uh, I don't I don't know. We'll have to see like what 2021 brings. Have to see what like what happens with um, you know restrictions and everything. Like it's very yeah. difficult, I think, right now in this environment to attempt to do like oh I'm gonna open a gym or I'm gonna open For up a sure. fitness center because you don't know like hey great I opened up this place and then next week the government can come in and just go, Hey, you know what, this this might not be a good idea right now. We're going to shut you down. (laughs) Yeah, no, 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 for sure. Like, I mean, I feel bad because some of our friends, you know, from gringos, um, our teammates, they started in a a program and like, I think, I feel like, I don't know the exact date, but I feel like they started in like February. And yeah, obviously that's the worst timing because I think the lockdown hit March 14th. Right. Um, so just been a pretty brutal business for entrepreneurs. Yeah, I, I think like anything like this, I, I think the biggest thing you're going to look at like an 18 month swing, at least, as far as kind of like some sense of normalcy coming back. I mean, we have the uh, vaccine possibility, this, that, or whatever. But I think especially with like businesses finding some sort of normality. Yeah, like I wouldn't want to start anything until like if I had to put anything down, like let's call it like a March would be a, a year before I would even like consider a new spot or anything like that. Right yeah. Now. And, and even beyond that, then you have to like, I, I just think of my friend who ran a very successful salsa business down in Australia, but in a core area. And mm-hmm. after the 08 financial crisis, his business shut down, he wasn't affected, but all of his clients didn't have the extra yeah. funds to put into it. Right. So then mm-hmm. like, you have to kind of think about that too. Like, sure. COVID could be over, but people just, a lot of people suffered in terms of income. Right. So oh, who's going to spend right? 120 bucks a month on a, or whatever. To roll with somebody yeah. and, and well, when they could do it in their basement, right? And, Information is accessible. Like you could just buy mats for 500 bucks and pay a coach. You know, everybody pays them 10 bucks. Like it's you can go better bolo, bang for your bolo. buck. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Go below in your basement, tug on yeah. ski pants, you know, <laughs> what are your, what are your thoughts kind of like going forward with, because you have an interesting perspective. Like you have the kind of the public health perspective, you have like health background, but then you also see like the business side of jujitsu and like your black belt in jujitsu. And, you know, you can see the impact that it has as well. And, you know, of course, if you're going on social media, you, you probably see, you know, a lot of people are, you know, very upset and emotional with sure. like, you know, there's, there's like a big range of like, you know, you know, COVID is this COVID is that like, you know, jiu-jitsu gyms are essential, but then you, you have an interesting perspective in all of this. Like that's one thing I actually want to get your thoughts on is, you know, how do you handle this going forward? Like, what- I mean, I, yeah, like I, I can't speak for public health. Of course, I can just give you my opinion. Um, of course. I, maybe the lockdowns, it's I don't know, like, it's hard to say, right? Like, is it the best strategy? Is it not? Because really, I think over time you'll know, um, of course, I mean, I'm not scared about my own health with COVID, but, you know, they say like you're infectious 48 hours before symptom onset. So I could be fine, but then I could go see someone and then they can go see their grandma. And like, for me, that's kind of what's been stopping me. Surprisingly, during COVID, the private requests, like the privates have just been through the roof. Like I probably never in my life had more requests for privates than COVID, but of course I haven't been taking them, right? Um so I, like, I'm kind of torn. I'm definitely more on the ca- cautious side, but I'm also very lucky because I have a, you know, have a day job. Right. So I, um, I like, I really feel bad for people who are just doing jujitsu or, you know, gym owners, because you don't, you know, that is your, 
day job, right? So you're getting slammed. And I think it's very easy to say um, we should be locking down when you're not, you know, running negative every month. Like, but yeah. for instance, my dad's business has been getting crushed for almost a year now, right? So yeah, and his, it, his rent is through the roof. Like, yeah, and it's not like the government's coming to pay that bill for them, right? It's like yeah. you're kind of stuck in a cold. You don't know that rock between the hard places. Like, yeah, this might be really good for the overall sense of it, but it's also like you're crushing me in this sense and you're not helping me out. Like, how how are people supposed to eat and do X, Y, Z? Yeah, I mean, I feel bad because I like you know small businesses are such a big part of Canada's economy, right? Um, but hey, I, I, me just as a person, I err on the side of caution. And I, I mean, I think that's even reflected in my jujitsu. Uh, so I'm always just cautious and I, I prefer to take a, a cautious approach to anything. Um, but I, I can definitely see that people are getting sick of lockdown and they're having a tough time. And I can, I also have like friends or people in my, you know, my social connections that live alone and you know so now they're not seeing anybody and they're not making any money and you know maybe they don't qualify for serve because of whatever conditions they didn't meet so yeah, yeah i mean i just overall i think it's been brutal brutal for a lot of people so you're not advocating going to open up a barbecue stand and then have everybody show up there, masters and all that kind of jazz, right? You, you, you know what? Like I've, I mean, I've nothing to do with the barbecue, but I've actually, <laughs> I, I typically don't like eating out of restaurants. Like I just like home cooked food, but we've been trying to support, um, you know, local businesses. So we've eaten out more, my wife and I, <laughs> since March than ever, which she's thrilled about because, you know, she loves to eat out, but. Yeah, no, I mean, in those places, a Texas barbecue place <laughs> called Addison. It's barbecue by any chance. <laughs> hey, you know, like maybe he came out way ahead in all of this. If his GoFundMe covers more than all of his legal fees, he got all that advertising. And I guess all of the people that are on one extreme end of the political spectrum are drawn there to go buy the food. Maybe he came out ahead more than anyone in all of this. Yeah, freedom, guns, barbecue, America. I mean, Canada. I mean, I don't know. But it was just like when I look at Florida and when they're like fully open, I'm like, I'm sure many people would prefer that. But me personally, I'm kind of like happy that that's not the way it is. Yeah, Florida just doesn't give a fuck. Like, <laughs> no, <laughs> they really don't. <laughs> when I, whenever I see like someone arrested for something ridiculous, it's always out of Florida. Or whenever I watch America's Most Wanted, it's like Florida. Oh yeah, yeah. Florida. Yeah. Florida like, Mans. Yeah. Florida Man. Florida Mans is like the new Brampton Mans. Yeah. <laughs> so there is actually a common question that I link to this. We're doing a, a kill fuck Mary, uh, oh, Brampton. Gosh. Scarborough, Hamilton. You have to kill one, F1, marry one. Go. Okay, I'd marry Scarborough. Uh, Hamilton. That's your, that's, and, your, that's your hood, so. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'd probably kill Brampton. Yeah. <laughs> that's just that, yeah. Brampton, yeah. Kill Brampton, yeah. F Hamilton. Yeah, yeah. I think I everybody think has chosen to that, kill Brampton throughout this entire survey. That's good, there's some consistency. There's consistency, that's for yeah. sure. I think it's like 15 kills in like Brampton's uh, direction as of right now. I don't know. I don't know what it is. <laughs> yeah, you guys are both in Brampton, right? 
Fuck no! No, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I, I, I think I'm you sorry. just. Tri- I think you just triggered Aaron. <laughs> are you Galadin? Right? No, no, no. Are, are you, you guys, okay, you guys are in Peel region. Yeah, we're Peel region, but Aaron's we're in the, technically I, Peel region. I'm, I'm, I'm like on the border of Halton and uh, Mississauga, so I like I'm to call bo- myself a Haltoner. <laughs> I'm a. Well, I'm, te- I'm in Vaughn, but I'm about. I'm literally across the street from Toronto. So like I could throw a rock and then I'm in Toronto. Is that like 16th Avenue? No, I'm in I'm in like the Vaughn area. It's like uh, Steels and like Highway 27, like that area. Oh, okay, okay, yeah. So I'm like just on the north side, but like like through a rock, I'm basically in Toronto. Like once you cross Steels, you're in Toronto. Shout out Rexdale, and then (laughs) I'm like five minutes from like the Brampton border, like Highway 50. So, like, I'm pretty much wedged between, like, one lockdown and another one. And then, like, York's, like, kind of, sort of, almost on the border. But there's some, I think, pushback to, like, higher level of governments, which, you know, like, yeah. like, my, like my wife works for the government. And I was actually having this discussion with her. Like, when people are like, oh, man, it's the government, man. They have, like, that whole, you know. There's rant. provincial powers, man, pressing up and even higher than them pressing down, right? Like, every, every, yeah. There's different, okay, like first, there's different levels of government and not all of them agree on every situation on how to handle things. So like, yeah. like municipally, for example, I like works for a municipal. They don't want to, they like, we want to do, like, we want to stay open. Like, this doesn't make sense. Like, it, let's, York Region? Let, it's uh, York, York Region, yeah. That's what I had heard that the, I guess the leader of York Region municipality was saying the lockdown doesn't make sense because malls is like not a source of case, which, you know, I'm always down to do what's backed by data, right? So if cases aren't coming from the gym and they're not coming from the malls, then why not, right? It's like, why are you closing them? But I think it's also that I think they're probably looking at, okay, like where are people congregating? Like, and hanging do we, out. Do yeah. we need to have like a, like millions of people going into a mall? Do we need to have hundreds of people doing jujitsu, breathing on top of each other and close yeah. intimate contact as, you know, like, well, I, I haven't been training. I haven't been training much recently, but like, you know, like pretty much if you're basically taking some of these back, you're pretty much spooning them. So you might as well. Get it. Yeah. Yeah. There's close contact, you know, things, things can happen. Like even, even if precautions are taking, like you just, you never know. Cause like we were, I think we were talking even before, like in Hamilton, there was uh Spinco, there was like a bike studio. I'm not oh, sure. Oh, and like know. 16 people got it or something. Oh no, it was like More. 70. So it, was it was like 70. It was like 70. Cases <laughs> or yeah. contact. Yeah. Linked directly to that one studio. And the, the I think one of the investors is a doctor. So I actually oh, read into okay. it because I want to know like, okay, like with fitness, yeah. like what's going on? Like, how did it happen? Did they do anything negligent? No, they did everything that they, they need to do. Like, it's like, okay. Well, they, I noticed that they changed the, like the safe, I guess, droplet projection distance to three meters for exercise from two meters, right? That's yeah, probably, so I think that's actually linked to Spinco now because they're fine because they spaced out all the bikes because it was a spin yeah. studio. You go in, hop on a bike for an hour um you do a class but then they, they spaced out all the bikes you're wearing a mask yeah. i mean you're literally locked bike. into one spot right so you're one spot yeah, that's it yeah and then you do your thing put a mask on you walk out there's like no showers no nothing but and they found out that they wow. did like screening everything at the front everything you should have did temperature checks all that and then just you know something slipped through unless Slow. unless somebody went in they're like hey eh, i don't feel well but hey what the hell i'm gonna hop on which you're always gonna get right like yeah there's I think there's like some sort of margin of error with that. I think the biggest thing is like people just have to 
recognize mm-hmm. and go, Hey, you know what? I'm not feeling good. Let me just lay low and then see yeah. what happens. But unfortunately anything. that you can just never do that. Right. Like, you know, people do weird stuff all the time. Like when you drive, it's the perfect example, right? Like you have someone that, you know, makes a you into the wrong like direction road, or you have people, you know, in Branton, I think someone was driving on the wrong side of the highway. Like you're just always going to have those people, right? Like Branton, Aaron, you, Aaron, you gotta get out of Brampton, man. I'm nowhere near Brampton. I don't understand how you make that mistake though. Like that's pretty like, that's pretty amazing. That that's like legit. Like, and we're talking about a divided highway. Like if it's divided highway, if you go in the wrong way, that's crazy. How did now, you even like, get in? Like, wh- where that's, that's, did you enter from? That's what I'm curious about. Yeah. Like, how did you even do it? Yeah. Right? Like, I know there's always, like, exits and on-ramps that are, like, kind of like the ones you can't go down because they're a one-way or whatever. Yeah. So, unless that person went down, like, one of those, that's the only way I could think you could do it. But, like, that's fucking crazy. Yeah. And then just to keep driving down it, you know, after oh, seeing just keep going. 35 like, cars, like, maybe <laughs> I'm going the wrong way. These, it's, it reminds me of, uh, what's that movie with John Kane? Planes, Trains, and Automobiles? Where they're on the highway and they're oh, going the yeah, wrong yeah, way, yeah. and all the guys are like, "You're going the wrong way." It's like, "Who's this asshole over here?" He keeps telling, "You guys are going." It's like that car's going the wrong way. That where are all these guys going? They're all going the wrong way. Okay, I actually did that once, not on a highway, but at you at Rev, <laughs> the parking lot. It's like a one way exit, and um, you know, to exit you got to go like all the way around the building. So I kind of always just like sneak out the same side, and. Um, one time it was one of the students parents and like we you know he kind of drove in the middle so we were stuck and i was like um let me can i just get through and he's like yeah but and then i was like well like do you mind moving and he's like oh i anyways i ended up saying oh i think you're going the wrong way and he's like no you're going the wrong way and i like looked down and there's like a massive arrow and i've literally been teaching there for seven years and i was like oh yeah it's that way that's why i always drive this way and i just like completely blanked out and it was the most embarrassing thing <laughs> that's hilarious yeah yeah it was like a no, six I... foot yellow arrow just below us crazy yeah. crazy yeah. Yeah. don't know how to drive man yeah, i'm sorry scarborough people yeah <laughs> was it scarborough drivers. or is it somewhere else it was in brampton it was in brampton no <laughs> <laughs> So what happens when you go to Brampton? I, I, I always notice driving gets exponentially worse the second I cross that border. <laughs> and also, I've, gr- I've grown up in Brampton, so, like, I've, I've gotten used to the terrible driving over the years. But then it's sometimes, like, because I live on the border and, like, I have, like, family that are still in Brampton. So when I, as soon as I drive in, as soon as I'm in Brampton, I'm like, wow, the driving has just gotten, like, people it's different. It's gotten so much worse. <laughs> it is different. I like, I, I can honestly, I'm telling you, like, whenever I do go to Brampton, it just feels different. <laughs> you just start shuddering, like, oh, <laughs> it's like, why are you saying so? Like, why did you just shudder all of a sudden? I don't know. <laughs> so, Arthur, when because when I go back to kind of like how you were saying, it's like, you know, you're a contractor now. You go to different clubs, you try to build cultures and all that kind of jazz. So why why was that something that kind of like drew to you? You were like, okay, this is the thing I want to do or then you just didn't want to stick to like one spot or like yeah. you start from one spot and you're kind of still building off that? Um, or? Well, you know, I, I mean, I was, I was teaching classes since I was a blue belt in 16, right? Like I, mm-hmm. I used to, it started with, I think a Sunday class. I used to go to a Sunday class and there was a guy that volunteered and I guess eventually, like, I think because of his family, he couldn't teach it. So I was asked to take it over 
And it kind of just snowballed from there. But I definitely like teaching at many spots. Um, number one, there's just a, a greater pool of students. Like at the time, you know, I was thinking from a perspective of potential for privates, right? If I'm only teaching at one spot, and especially if there's more than one instructor, there's less people in the pool, more instructors, it just doesn't make sense. Like, you know, I guess from a career business perspective. So then the other thing is I like teaching at different places because if I ever don't, you know, if I ever stop enjoying teaching at one place or if, you know, there's, it's just no longer a good fit, then I can walk away, you know, I, versus putting all of my eggs in one basket. If I put all my eggs in one basket and I turn down any opportunities and I get fired for whatever reason, then that's it. Right. So I, I, I kind of like, you know, that I can float around and yeah. Kind of like the freedom of everything. Like, yeah, I, I, I love the freedom. Choose, like where you want to teach and like who you want to take on for privates. That's, that's exactly it. Like I, I like that, you know, there's no politics. There's not too much overhead control, like depending on the gym, particularly like some one of the gyms, for example, there's like zero overhead control, um, which I like. I like kind of the freedom to, you know, run it the way that I, I like to. Have you ever yeah, given, yeah. sorry, go ahead, Aaron. No, 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 you go, Mike. Uh, have you ever given any thought to like, hey, you know, I'm teaching at all these spots. Like, do you want to open up your own gym one day? Um, like what's in the future for you right now? Like, yeah, you, you know, you honestly, my my career is, I think, really starting to get to where I want it to in terms of my long-term career goals. I'm pretty happy with how things are going. I feel like I'm finally on, like, you know, I, I feel like I had this feeling in jujitsu several years ago where I, things were starting to align and, you know, the work I was putting in was starting to show. And now I feel like it's happening with my career. Um, and I'm kind of more interested in my personal, like my actual professional career. Jujitsu is kind of a fun thing. Um, I don't know that I would ever open my own gym. Number one, it's a lot of responsibility. My dad, like I said, has owned so many businesses over the years and my mom's family too. And it's just a lot of stress, a lot of headache. I love that. For example, I think of Rev, you know, like the head instructor, Joel, he can't just go on a vacation for four months. Like his students, his academy, his business, he just can't do that. Like I'm imagining he can't do that, right? Um, I feel like he's always limited to certain slots. Like, you know, he's a big he's a big player at the gym. For me, I can go on vacation for six weeks and nobody cares. And I love that. I <laughs> love that. Go, eh, whatever. Yeah, we got yeah, this yeah, guy honestly, like I have I have no equity in the company. Like, I, of course, I care that it does well, but I just like the if ever I I think teaching you start to become not as good a coach when you go and it feels like a job. Right. Yeah. Uh, I, I feel you. And you want to be able to, again, it's like we use the analogy in mechanics of like shut the toolbox. You can't fix a car when it's shut. So it's, it's over. It's done with it for now. So when you want to be able to just shut it, go home, do what you want to do, focus on this X, Y, Z, and then do whatever else. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it's, it's good. Yeah. And especially as it's some of the dojos kind of where I guess I'm the head BJJ instructor, it's like some of my students are becoming more senior, like Belinda is almost a brown belt now. And some of my other students that I've been teaching for like 10 years, they're, they're, you know, at that level of like brown belt basically. And I, I, I'm, I'm comfortable knowing that they can teach if I need a break or if something happens. And I, I kind of like that. Oh, that's awesome. That's good. How does it make you feel, especially like, you know, going through the ranks of like, again, white to black, and then now you're seeing, you've been teaching people from white all the way up to brown belt. Like, how does that, that feel for you? Or awesome. it's, like, it's obviously like a recent thing too. It's yeah. not like 
you've been teaching for 20 years and this is like a brand new thing. Yeah. So, so, you know, particularly working as a contractor under a head instructor, it's a little bit different because except for maybe three or four students who train maybe exclusively with me, most of the students are kind of split. So Okay. I don't make that, you know, I don't have as much, I guess, authority and control, which is fine. Like, you know, I understand where the responsibility is spread across, but having students and knowing that I've only ever taught this student and this jujitsu is completely my jujitsu, man, it is amazing. It's so rewarding. I, I, I personally, I get such a kick out of it. And when I, uh, yeah, when I see, you know, I have some students that are really shining stars and watching them just go to an open mat and wreck people that are higher belts and bigger. I was like, yeah, jujitsu works. Like, you know, um, it's super rewarding and I really love it. And having the same students for five years. Um, yeah. Like my, my one, I guess the con of working at so many places is I'm limited in how many times I can teach. So some of these pretty much every gym, like the maximum you can train with me is three to four times a week but not everyone can make all three or four versus if I offered seven classes and they could only make five, you know, but there's a huge outcome difference when you compound all those extra classes, but man, it is freaking awesome. Like I'm, I have a couple of students that I'm super excited to promote and I, I, I keep pretty close track. So I have a attendance tracker at the end of every semester. I tally all the total like um, attendance points and it's cumulative. And every promotion, whether it's a stripe or a belt, is tracked with a date into this tracker. So I have kind of like, you know, I was thinking I wanted to do like, um, I think it's a pivot table <laughs> for my little tracker just to see the outcome and the changes. But yeah, I, I love it. Like I have to say it is truly as enjoyable as like competing and winning. Yeah, because yeah, I think you've made a pretty seamless transition. Like, yeah, I think you you really like teaching a lot more. And I think I kind of made that transition, I think, the last couple of years as well, where I've gotten to the point where, like, I competed a lot, but I'm really starting to enjoy, I think, teaching actually a lot more than more than um, more than actually competing. Doesn't mean I'm like never going to compete again. It's yeah, just, I it's actually, a different. I really felt like the last couple of years, like I've taught before, like when I was like a blue belt and a purple belt and I was just like, you know, filling in for people and it wasn't a, a big deal. And I'd be like, Hey, I'd do it. And I didn't like hate it or anything. It was just like, Hey, you know, I'll help out. Sure. But like, I've actually developed, you know, like I've, re- I've actually generally enjoyed teaching the last couple of years at the program that we were doing. We were almost getting to the point where we're going to start giving out some belts and then oh, uh, man. things, things yeah. got yeah. shut well, down. That's a, I feel like that's a big step, you know, getting those first student, senior students. It's like a very special, you know, to give out your first. But you, so you guys, you know, like I, that's what I'm talking about. Like when you go and you guys have your own program, like that's got to be amazing. We're this close. We're getting, yeah. we're getting there. Yeah. I'm like, hey, it'll oh, come back. Yeah. we're starting to see, uh, I think there's some uh, new belts coming and, and then uh like hey they're not shit anymore (laughs) did you get submitted by any of your students yet um aaron several times by (laughs) by everybody myself i'm invincible so i don't get submitted by anybody by anything ever (laughs) no i don't know you you know what like if i if i'm junior still What's that? It's still a little bit too junior, I guess, like considering you haven't done belts yet. Some of them are, but I actually threw myself in some submissions where I'm like, oh, this guy's got a good triangle. I'm going to throw myself in it. Yeah. And I got to a point where I was like, oh shit, I'm stuck. I can't get out of this thing. (laughs) And then like, I'm not, he's not doing enough to to like submit me, but like, I can't get out. Like I'm just stuck. I'm like, 
this sucks. I was there for like five minutes. I eventually found a way to like wiggle out, but like it was, it was a struggle. <laughs> well, I did get caught in an ankle lock once by Alex. And I was like, I really didn't want to tap. <laughs> Let it like, break, man. Let it break. Just like, bleed. Just bleed. <laughs> UFC. Full day tomorrow. Call and time like, in the round. He's, he's really going to break my fucking ankle. <laughs> and time. Good job. Yeah, well, you almost have me there. Good job. <laughs> so, yeah, that was the, the one time, and I was really pissed after that one. And I, and, and I was limping, too. <laughs> oh, <laughs> you waited to death. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I waited. I was like, I was avoiding it, and I was like, if I don't do it, I'm going to break it off so i'm like fuck it <laughs> there's also a, a, a certain kimura trap system i i showed a student that ended up pulling oh. it off on aaron as well <laughs> yeah. he was a little and he was a little annoyed and it, usually what happens when you have like a lower i've seen this happen i think we've seen this experience happen a lot of times where like somebody who's not as experienced catches somebody with something that's more experienced so like a white belt might catch like a blue belt or a blue belt might catch a brown belt for example you could just see, like, all right, how much time's left on the clock? It's like a minute, two minutes. I'm like, I, I saw this happen a few times where um, a purple belt student came in. It was a training partner. He got loop choked by one of our white belt students. And there was about a minute left on the clock. And I could just look <laughs> on the guy's face and go, I'm like, duck, cover, <laughs> cover up for the minute. <laughs> I'm like, just do this. I'm like, don't die for the last minute. But then, like, oh, you can always you can always see that happen. I've seen Aaron do that a few times where he's like, oh, that's it. I got to get this tap back and absolutely just murder somebody after it happens. Not one, like two or three taps back. That's how you work it. <laughs> you, have to, you, have to assert, you have to assert dominance. But you know, you know what, though? Like, if I generally, like, hey, I'm teaching somebody and I'm like, I get, I get caught slipping and they catch me in something, I'm like, it, you know what? Like, if I taught them that, they should be doing that to me. <laughs> otherwise like i'm a really shitty teacher like let's be honest like if my students aren't eventually you know submitting me or giving you a hard time like then something yeah you're not doing a good enough job of teaching them in my opinion well i think i think like some of my students have hit that point where i'm just i i guess my style of rolling is like i do put myself in every position like i really you know when i'm rolling in the dojo anyways like now they've started submitting me so like three or four of the blue belts have submitted me two or three or four times and i'm like the first time i never wanted to tap but after the first one i'm like okay i you know now build it up fine, yeah but one guy like he just has killer ankle locks and he just keeps catching me and i'm like oh my god okay isn't that your move man and he's just doing it to I, you it's oh like... man you have no idea how annoyed i was i was like oh and the first time he submitted me like i was gonna take his back and then i just like eased up and he caught the perfect ankle lock like it, it was i tapped before he even applied it because i just as soon as he wrapped it i was like that's perfect and then he hit that like coyotera del ankle ankle lock on me and i'm like well man this guy's just like stacking them up now and then um there's another guy and i think he, honestly i think he's my top student he's he's a like he's a killer and he's 50 and he's a blue belt he is terrifying and um this guy one day just as a joke i wrote a message to him and i was like bring your tapping pants today and guess who got submitted for the first time 
<laughs> he submitted me. So then I was like, all right, that's it. Let's go. So I call him for another round. And I'm like, I'm going to submit you three times. So I go and I submit him three times. And then I was like, that's not enough. And then he submitted me again. So in like five years, this guy had not submitted me. And then twice in one day. Who's wearing the tap and pants? I know, I know. So now I'm like, now I don't say anything. Now, like, uh, I, I just, yeah. I'm gonna start. I'm gonna start using that tag. I think we're gonna get that shirt on. I'm like, hey, Aaron. The next time we roll, get your tapping pants. Bring your tapping pants. Because I'm gonna grab that lapel and I'm gonna stall you to the death. To the death. (laughs) I'm never gonna say that ever again. I think that was a good learning lesson for me. Stalling to the death or getting submitted by your students? Getting getting submitted after talking smack to them. That was that was a good piece of humble pie. <laughs> I'm just going to shut up now. <laughs> yep. Well, especially when I said like, all right, that's it. Now you're like really getting it. And then I got submitted again. I was like, wow, that's just like, let's just call it a day. <laughs> you know what? I think I'm good now. <laughs> yeah. So. Yeah, no, I'm sure. So kind of like, obviously you're focused on your career now where do you kind of like see your students going and being more competitors down the road or just kind of being as they, what they do? Yeah. Like I'm very happy with the way things are going. Like, um, yeah, like I said, like culture is my, my biggest focus more than anything, like retention and culture. And I, I think a really good sign is like when these guys, sometimes they catch me in a submission, they'll like pretend to let go. And I don't want them to do that to me, but my, you know, I, I, I kind of like more of a traditional, I guess, environment where I said, like, if a senior belt comes in, you shouldn't be trying to rip their head off, you know? Like, it's just mm-hmm. not a really good look. Like, you should kind of roll with them a couple times and, you know, kind of match their intensity. But in terms of, career, like, career, like, I guess I'm at a point where I can maybe move up and really take that deep dive in. But then I'm afraid that that's going to cut into my teaching, you know? Because once you take on that higher level of responsibility, um there's, you know, things happen and guess who has to stay behind, right? So it's kind of hard to have like a rigid 6 p.m. or 7 p.m. class knowing that work could go until 8 p.m. tonight, you know, or, or whenever, yeah. right? So I'm kind of like at that point right now where I'm trying to figure out. I, I kind of like how things are right now, but I think it's, you know, this is an opportunity and I'm like mm-hmm. a rare opportunity, right? Do I let it pass me by? No, exactly. You got you to figure out what's best for you, obviously, uh, down the road. But then again, later on in your life and you get kids in the mix is if you want, then everything gets fucked up. So don't yeah, worry. Yeah. That's, that's the other like decision we're trying to figure out right now, you know? Yeah. yeah no. Then, you, yeah. Then you'll train once a week. It'll be fine. Aaron, you have, you have uh, how many, how many kids? I got two. Mike's got one. I got one. Still got the what one. You, what do you, what's your like feedback in terms of, you know, having kids and career and work-life balance and relationship? Like, well, I'm very there's curious. A balance? What? <laughs> there's a balance? How does, how does it impact? How does there's it impact balance? everything? I think you, well, you yeah. I think you learn your well, Aaron can speak for himself, but I think you learn your priorities, I think, very quickly. So um Yeah, sometimes you think you do. It all depends on your position, right? Because because again, like you said, career wise is like it depends on what you're doing, right? So like I like I don't know what your next step is, but obviously if it's like a management role and your responsibilities are X and all that kind of jazz, you it's it's a balance, right? And it's a fine balance because like I'll be the first one to admit, especially like 
I had just taken on a new management role where I was at the time. And then basically I had my first child. And then basically my, my, my oldest, who's five now, the first year of his life, I was barely home. It's just because I was at work and I, and I barely trained. I don't even, I don't even think I trained. I would train like once a month. So I would pay wow. my membership and pay my 150 bucks a month, but I would basically train once a month. Like that's how bad it was. Right. And so you have to kind of figure out those priorities, right. And everybody's different, right. It all depends on, you know, how, how your partner works with it and all that kind of jazz as well. But the one thing I will say is that you have to figure it out quicker than I did. That's for sure. Because it wasn't worth it for me. Right. I missed way too much in that first year. Then I, and you can't get that back. Right. And I didn't really realize it till like it was uh, home with Connor by myself for like sometime in the summer. And I'm like, holy shit, I missed so much. Right. And then you don't think about it. And because that whole thing where people say like, oh, a year goes by so fast. I'm like, a year does not go by fast. It's a year. Like, how can a year go by fast? And it really does. So that's the one thing you have to figure out what works best for you and you have to prioritize what's going to be the best thing. But again, kids are great, but they're time suckers. They really are. <laughs> we, we, it's, it's like kids are great, but they're little sucky business on your soul. <laughs> Mike, like no, I, I, I do, I do want to hear your, your input on this, but you know, we babysat two kids for the first time ever, just me and Belinda and uh, holy crap. We babysat them for three days. Like, I basically watched TV with them for nine hours a day to keep them occupied and fed them candy and like cereal. But <laughs> man, like, dude, literally just going to get the mail took 45 minutes to get these two guys. Like Bro. one of them ties like, his shoelaces and I think he just learned and it would be like 10 minutes to tie both. I was like, just come bare feet. Just come. Ba- I couldn't take it for me. I'm so used to like, you know, especially with my like busy work schedule, like bang, bang, bang. Like that's kind of how I like to move. Right. And this kid was just like, well, maybe. I'm gonna just put this foot in. Oh, I forgot something. I gotta go pee. Oh my god! And then I'm gonna. Oh, I gotta get it. Yeah, I like. I don't know. Just try putting him to bed. That's another one where you just go. Well, okay. So I I played that strategy terribly. I kept them up till two a.m. or three a.m. And I was like, I won't have to worry about these suckers tomorrow morning. These guys pop into my room at like 7 a.m. And I was like, God <laughs> damn. So then instead of learning like an, a normal adult, I doubled down on my strategy. So like uh, Saturday night, I do the same thing. I stay up late and I'm like, I go until I'm just about to pass out. And I'm like, OK, now we'll see. Same thing, man. Like kids do not need sleep is what I learned. <laughs> they need less than me. iPad. <laughs> watch their shit on their by themselves and then you still sleep but before mike goes and gives you his whole thing i had those two kids when they shut everything down by myself because my wife was working in the basement at the time so she was busy making money for everybody and i had the two boys because the schools were canceled daycares was canceled everything was canceled so it's just me and the boys like you want to talk about like push your limits oh yeah that was me like, what are you going to do all day? And basically can't go anywhere, can't drive anywhere. You can only drive around the block so many times. 
can only take the and it's wintertime at the time. You can can only go outside for like 30 minutes. You can't keep them out there that Aaron, long. You make it sound like you were stuck in prison. You're just at home. That's how you know this is what happens every time. Like I'm I'm always very curious about like marriage advice and, and like having children. And every time with, with children, and that's you know, one of my big fears that it strains a relationship because I've seen that a lot. And every time everyone's like they eat up all my time they fatigue me they like suck <laughs> my soul and then they always finish but it's worth it and i'm like but nothing you said like is you know aligns with that statement is that just like uh you have to say it because now the kids are are born and you know you don't want them to see the podcast or i don't know no, it's, it, no honestly actually at the end of the day it actually is worth it like evan's been doing like some good stuff in school and everything and it's like sometimes it's just good like spending spending time with spending time with them like we're just hanging out playing roblox and he's like hey look i built this track and then i'm like jumping around on it and he's or like he's just playing like random games and he's just like figuring out like strategy. Like he's playing like Clash Royale and he's like, oh, look, like this card's good with that one. So like I can drop this guy at the bridge and then he takes it. I'm like, like where are you learning all this stuff? <laughs> like it, it's it's good seeing like their development like in those ways as well. That's something I've been enjoying personally. And then in jujitsu, for example, I'm like, I'm going to pass your guard. And then he actually framed on my shoulder and like threw his legs back in. Oh, so I'm just messing cool. around. Like I grab his legs. I'm like, ah, I'm going to pass. And he's just like dinking his legs. like come flying back in. I'm like, well, I uh, wonder where you learned this one. <laughs> You've been watching any John Thomas clips there uh, on, on YouTube? There, Is he wearing the hoodie? Is he wearing a, is he wearing a hoodie? I'm like, are you watching random Arthur clips? He's like, I got it. He's like, can I wear a hoodie under my? Because <laughs> you know the other thing is like John Thomas. You know, I I guess it's part of like uh, the ginger phenotype. Um, he's he's very pale, so he always looks cold too, right? So you're almost like happy Aaron, he's wearing Aaron, the hoodie. Are you very cold over there? <laughs> well, I'm in cold. the basement. I am. Aaron's got a tan. Wearing a sweater. Uh, yeah. You call that a tan? I, I mean, I, I mean, I don't like not compared to me, but compared to like Mike, maybe. <laughs> I think it's a lighting thing. That's okay, all. well, it's good lighting. It's working in your favor. One more, uh, one more thing. We want to wrap wrap up this evening. Um, me and you, we were actually in Costa Rica as this whole I, thing was going down. Oh man, I almost forgot. I have to slip yeah, this in. I forgot. Um, what we need to do between us is we need to go back to Costa Rica because I have this idea to reverse the pulls of COVID. We have to go back to Costa Rica again. We have to go back to Costa Rica and then it will disappear. It it was so funny. Like, I, I number one, I wish we could have met up. That would have been freaking amazing. Uh, number two, like we're living like basically remotely. And then finally at the end of the trip, we come into the town and everyone's looking all paranoid. And like, people are talking about like no toilet paper back in Canada. And I'm just like, what the hell happened in two weeks? I was just like going and looking at plots and now like, it's like a apocalypse in Toronto. Yeah. That would, that was really trippy. And even on the plane, like getting to the plane, just cause it was no information coming in. Right. Cause we were, you know, living basically in the jungle. Um, I'm already paranoid. And like, you know how people are, especially before COVID, people are standing right beside me coughing. And I'm like, well, <laughs> that's it. It's like, well, I got herpes now. Yeah. <laughs> but no, yeah. I think, I think me and you, we need to head back to Costa Rica. I think unfortunately, like you were on one side of the country and I was on another. Yeah. Just, when you went to one place, you were there. And then we, we were, were circling around each other. 
pretty much that's what it felt like. I'm like, oh, are you here? You're like, yeah, we're going to be here Tuesday. I'm like, great, I'm going to be here Thursday. Oh, I'm leaving Thursday morning. Well, damn it. Yeah, that would have been so cool. <laughs> that would have been cool. But there's yeah. a lot of actually really awesome places to train there. I want to go back there. And I think if we go back there, COVID might disappear. I think so. There was a, there was like, um, you know, I trained at two gyms there and the first gym, like I saw his lineage and he was like a fourth degree black belt. So I'm like, okay, this guy's definitely got that old school style. I would assume. And then I saw his coach on the wall who was like an MMA guy. And I was like, Oh no, it's going to be one of these. He shook my hand and he literally like pounced on me and he was a huge dude. Uh, that was interesting. And then I went and I trained at the other gym. And they were like kind of the opposite. They were very modern. And there was like a purple belt who wrecked me. It was so good. Yeah. It was, it was good. It was good training. Uh, well, now we've realized that Mike has been shouldering the burden of this being his fault the entire time. It's actually both your fault. <laughs> Nine, months <later>. so, uh, <laughs> Nine months later. I carry this. I carry this burden. You carry everybody. this burden. Buddy. But I'll start a GoFundMe and like other people, and I'll just you know use it to go on vacation. But if COVID does disappear as I go away, something positive would have come from it. Plus, I might come back with a tan again. You never know. <laughs> Arthur, we like to. <laughs> we want to let you wrap us up. Uh, is there anybody you want to thank or shout out or sponsorships you want to talk? Hoodie sponsorships or anything you want to get? Um, I mean, I mean, just thank you, I guess, for having me on and thanks to all the gyms that let me teach and all the students that keep coming to class. So I don't, you know, get fired. <laughs> <laughs> that always helps. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Or else we'll have to start a GoFundMe for you. I think it will end with that. Okay. Yeah, we'll, end, we'll end with that. We'll end with it's that so awkward good. silence. That was, that was beautiful. Perfect. Arthur, you should, you should like trim that into the beginning as well. I think that would be a good. I think we'll have to add. Well, I think we'll have to edit up the the place that you mentioned earlier as well. Aaron, you'll you'll just, get on that, right? I'll get it. I'll take the GoFundMe, put that at the beginning of the clip, and it'll be like, "What Arthur needs a GoFundMe? What?" <laughs> I'm confused. What's going on? He has like seven jobs. What's up? But Arthur, thank you for coming on tonight. It was. Uh, hopefully, when all these things you know settle down a little bit more we can get together and train like uh, yes. good old days my passing has gotten better since it was zero last time we rolled and then you followed up with i see why you play guard I, I actually that actually that actually cut me deep and i was like man i should probably learn how to pass